Good day, and welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, your host, and as always, I'm really glad you've decided to join us. Trauma. It's something that we talk about a fair amount here on Detroit Today, but usually we focus in on how trauma affects us and our own mental health. But what some researchers suggest is that our trauma is not just our own, and that the emotional stress we feel today can actually be passed on to our descendants, who in turn will still be dealing with our trauma in their lifetimes. This idea is especially important right now when we're currently living through a massively and collectively traumatic event. We've also all been experiencing our own personal traumas as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic. So as we deal with this trauma individually, the effects of our current environment may live on for a long time in those who come after us, influencing the emotions and behaviors of future generations long after we're gone. But before you begin to panic about just the idea of something like that, I I think we need to comprehend what this actually means, and if it is indeed as grim as it sounds. Here to talk about the importance of understanding the idea of inherited trauma is neuroscientist Dr. Bianca Jones-Marlin. She is assistant professor and principal investigator of the Marlin Lab at Columbia University's Zuckerman Institute. Dr. Marlin, welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you so much for having me. Mm-hmm. So when you write about inherited trauma, you say it's less about how trauma alters our DNA and more about, quote, memories of trauma that are passed down from our ancestors. Let's talk about how these genetic memories live on within us. Yes, yeah, so our genetics don't change. Our genes, our DNA are stable. We inherit them from our dad and our mother, our biological parents, and those continually um, are passed down and make up who we are as people. Every one of our cells have the same DNA. But for some reason, an eye cell becomes an eye cell and a liver cell becomes a liver cell. This is because of something called epigenetic markers. Things around the genetics that say, although we all are the same, you need to be an eye and I need to be a liver. It's these markers that we suspect are what change during trauma. And these markers could potentially hold the memory for what's being passed on. So give us some examples, physical or mental examples of the kinds of consequences or even maybe the kinds of advantages mm. that we, we, we might be experiencing as a result of this, this phenomenon. One of the most studied um, examples of transgenerational epigenetic inheritance, so passing on a traumatic event via epigenetics, happened after World War II, and this is called the Dutch Hunger Winter. So after the last, uh, war of world, uh, the last winter of World War II, the Netherlands were cut off from food because they decided they did not want to transport Nazi troops. So they were cut off from food. And during this time, the population starved drastically. And it was a mentally, physically, spiritually, and emotionally traumatizing time for those nine months during the winter. And what uh, scientists discovered later on, because they took such clean note of those who served in the military, were that the children and grandchildren of men who were starved, both men and women, but I focus on men in my studies, were starved, uh, their children 
and their grandchildren seem to suffer from metabolic issues, hypertension, which is high blood pressure, diabetes, and schizophrenia even. And if one were to step back and observe this, it's just almost as if it makes sense because the kids and grandkids were prepared to live in a land where there was no food. And because they were living in the land of plenty, the body adapted and was turned into disease in which we had high blood pressure and diabetes, which could potentially be adaptive when there's no food around. But when we're living in the land of plenty, it's something that becomes detrimental. And this was the, the most studied, I would not say the first, many other um, uh, cultures have observed this, but the most studied aspect of a trauma being remembered in our epigenome and being passed down. Hmm. So are we able to identify this kind of thing within ourselves? Uh, does it manifest, for instance, in specific triggers or, as you just pointed out in that study, specific behaviors that we could ourselves be aware of? And this is where we have to parse out our experience as humans and the biology. As much as I do think they do align together, it's hard to separate our sensitivity towards something along the lines of Holocaust or slavery based on the dinner table conversations we have with our grandparents and our parents and what is genetically within us. So in our lab, we use um, a, rodal mo a rodent model. So we use mice to parse this out because we can separate the dinner conversation from the experiment and actually look at the changes in genetics because it's hard to parse out how much of this experience is really coming from the oral history versus the genetic. And so when we talk about something like oral history, um, let, let's focus in on that for a second. Is it that if my father or my grandfather tells me about a traumatic experience that, uh, that, that one of them had, uh, that, that somehow I internalize that not just in terms of the memory itself, but I might internalize... Um, uh, I guess the, the, the traumatic response to the things that happened to somebody else, even though I didn't experience those things, that I can suffer from the same kinds of reactions to those things as the person who did. We in psychology hypothesize that it's the, the signal of the story could be something that is triggering. Uh, we hear that people who have had parents who have gone through war and gone through famine find themselves heightened in anxiety and heightened in even depression. And so the question, this is, herein lies the question exactly what you're describing, how much of this is a trigger based on the fact that you know your parents went through this, this trauma and how much of it is actually if you had never met your parents hmm. or you were separated at birth, you still get this response. And this is the part that's so hard to parse out in humans, which is why our work is important because we want to make sure that we hear the whole story of a person. We want to make sure that we're able to incorporate the epigenetic components with also the memory of what they've heard. Hmm. I'm talking with Dr. Bianca Jones-Marlin. She's an assistant professor and principal investigator uh, at the Marlin Lab at Columbia University's Zuckerman Institute. We're talking about the concept of inherited trauma, trauma that is passed along from one generation to the next so that the things that we experience in our lives might somehow shape the behaviors and reactions of those who come after us. It's a really interesting concept, but it's also a pretty important concept 
right now. Think of the things that we're experiencing in the world here in 2021, this global pandemic that has absolutely turned many of our expectations and routines upside down, literally, uh, the trauma and loss that all of us really have collectively experienced uh, as a result of the pandemic. How much of that will we pass on to the people uh, who come after us, to our children, to our grandchildren, to uh, descendants that we will never even meet? Um, We'd love to have you as part of the conversation as well. Give us a call and talk to us about uh, trauma, the trauma that you're experiencing right now, and whether you are familiar with this idea of inherited trauma. What behaviors or emotions can you identify with that uh, you are curious about whether they come from somebody who came before you? Uh, Are you curious to see what our current pandemic-related trauma will mean for the health and the welfare of Uh, our future descendants? And are you seeing signs of your own trauma, even in your own children, today already, given the things that we're experiencing? As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET uh, Facebook page and put comments there. You can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll try to work you into the conversation uh, that way. I, I want to also, before I get back to the conversation, um, I, I want to just again put out there that uh, we have been really focused here on Detroit Today over the last year and a half at just letting uh, letting each other talk about trauma, let, letting um, letting it all out, so to speak. Uh, th- this has been a really crazy uh, stretch of time. Uh, all of us have lost many, many things. Many of us have lost many, many people. Um, uh, I think the, the time we share each day here on the program uh, is a great time to be able to, uh, to share the, what we're experiencing um, Uh, and lean on each other just a little bit. So uh, if you just want to talk about the trauma that you're experiencing, the trauma that your family uh, is experiencing right now, uh, we, of course, welcome you to the conversation as well. And again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. You can also go to Facebook or Twitter, put comments there, and uh, and we'll work you into the conversation. Uh, Dr. Marlon, I want to talk about this in the context of uh, of race and class, mm. um, I, I think it, it seems impossible to talk about something like this in this country and not think of yeah. uh, our racial our racial past. In the context of race, though, um, I've done a little reading, and this concept is a little controversial. Uh, mm. The idea of inherited trauma, and I think the hesitation is. Um, is rooted in the idea that it kind of robs uh, people today of agency over uh, Mm. themselves and their lives and their behaviors. It it, it attributes the things that we might see in 2021 to to things that happened long before any of us uh, were born. And and it it almost seems fatalistic, I guess, uh, in the Mm. sense of trying to 
trying to ameliorate those 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 effects or or move in a in a in a different direction. I I wonder if you can talk about how you see the the sort of racial context for um, uh, for this concept and how how it applies to the awful racial history that we have in this country. Thank you so much for bringing up and addressing the racial aspects of transgenerational genetic inheritance. First and foremost, it's very important to acknowledge that science is motivated by scientists. So the studies that we have very commonly surround the Chunga winter and the Holocaust based on data because the majority of scientists who are studying this are coming from those lineages, which is why it's so very important to actively include other aspects, other stories, and other experiences into science. Uh, myself, as a first-generation American and Black woman, I have a keen focus on how race and social class and caste and social identity can play a role in epigenetic inheritance as well. And I do think that it is only being brought to the forefront because it's brought to the forefront from someone who has experienced it and um, ha- finds it very important. So thank you so much for highlighting that first and foremost. In reference to the fatality aspect or the the fear of loss of agency, I want to take a step back and give credit to biology and the beauty of biology. Hmm. Our beings aren't made to be fatalistic. We're, we're, We're engineered for survival. And the changes that we've observed in these human studies, when you look at them, are set up for survival. It's when society is not flexible with those survival aspects where things become, start to, start to um, go awry. And so changes that we may have based on a traumatic experience may potentially prepare us and our children and our grandchildren to live in a place that is still continually going to be traumatic and survive in it. And so I really want to highlight that it's not biology trying to take us out for generations, but actually to keep us here on Earth. With that being said, it is not just biology that is motivating us because we are still a society who makes choices. And so in understanding what can be happening with transgenerational epigenetic inheritance of traumas and stress as a society and caring and investing in it as a society, we create that sweet part, sweet spot in which we may be adapting. However, we now understand the science of society and we can edify and lift up those who are adapting for optimization. Hmm. I also wonder about the collective nature of something like inherited trauma. And, mm. and I, I think there can be, there can certainly be a racial context for that in this, in this country. Uh, African-Americans, uh, as a people, we have experienced things, uh, common things that, that other uh, citizens here have not. Uh, is there such a thing as collective inherited uh, trauma in that way? But, but I'm also thinking of the city of Detroit, for instance, mm-hmm. over the last year and a half, and uh, all of the things that we have collectively experienced here through the pandemic, which are different from uh, things that have happened in, in other communities, does, does something like this affect the entire city's population in a collective sense moving forward? Social studies have shown that fear of one population, of, of a group of, for example, animals, can affect the perception of fear in another group of animals. And this can go both ways. If there's one group of animal that has heightened fear, the other group of animals can be on edge. And this is myself talking about rodents right now. Hmm. Um, in the same way, there can be a smaller group who is feared 
And when they're surrounded by a larger group who has not experienced this fear, it can lessen that fear. I don't ever want to say that we're taking the human studies and popping them onto the animal studies and vice versa. We're very different organisms. But what we can glean out of that is support systems is that by traumatizing an entire group, racial group of people, yes, it leads to heightened anxiety and stressors in that group of people. However, leading to support systems for the larger community for the, from the majority could actually lessen that. And knowing those, that information and knowing that we've gleaned this from other organisms, it's almost, um, for lack of a better word, silly that we don't implement that in our societies. Mm-hmm. It may not be that black and brown people have to pull themselves up by the bootstraps, but those who are the majority can actually lend that love to the community and that can actually change the community at large. Okay, we're going to take a quick break and when we come back, we are going to continue uh, this really interesting conversation with Dr. Bianca Jones-Marlin about inherited trauma. Uh, We're going to continue to hear from you as well. Get to your calls and your social media comments next. If you want to join us, call and tell us what you think of the idea that trauma, experiences of trauma, can somehow be passed along from one generation to the next. Also, as always here on Detroit Today, we want to hear how you're doing uh, with everything that is going on. Uh, How are you coping with the trauma that we have collectively experienced in this community over the last uh, year and a half? Uh, Are you finding ways to find joy, not just survive, uh, right now? We'd love to hear what you're doing and how that's working out. As always, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. My guest is Dr. Bianca Jones-Marlin. She is a neuroscientist and an assistant professor and principal investigator of the Marlin Lab at the Zuckerman Institute at Columbia University. We're talking about the concept of inherited trauma, uh, the idea that the things that happen to us, the things that shape our lives, can have effect on the people who come after us, on our children, on our our grandchildren, on uh, descendants who we never even uh, meet. Uh, We're talking about what that means and what that means specifically in the context of right now when so many of us are experiencing real trauma uh, as a result of the pandemic, uh, the uh, tremendous consequences both social and health-wise and uh, economic uh, that the pandemic has brought to visit on all of us. Uh, we want to hear from you during this conversation about what you think of this idea of inherited trauma, but also, uh, as always here on Detroit Today, we just want to hear from you about how you're doing through all of this, uh, how you're managing all of the really tragic things that continue to happen uh, collectively to us uh, in this community. Uh, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Facebook and Twitter and put uh, 
your comments there, and we'll work you into the conversation. I want to start with a, a social media comment we got from Graham on Twitter, who asks, how does your guest define trauma? I've heard the word thrown around quite casually lately. To me, it seems important to make a distinction between experiences like the horrors of war and, say, a tough breakup. But I often hear the word trauma used for both. Graham continues. He says, I don't mean to minimize difficult, quote, normal experiences like the death of a parent after a long life or relationship challenges, but doesn't using trauma for those types of experiences water down the concept? Uh, It's an interesting uh, question, Dr. Marlin. How would you answer it? Thank you very much, Graham, for for addressing this. And in the lab, when we talk about trauma, we're really anthropomorphizing. So we're putting um, an emotion on on, on these animals because we can't ask them whether or not this is something that they would scale as traumatic, whereas with humans, we can. Uh, So it's very important to address the fact that many of the traumas we discuss are really stressors, ways of changing our homeostasis, the way our body normally sits, in a way that may make us uh, what we align to as fight or flight, so a stressor. And when it comes to the traumatic aspect, it really is a personal perception. And in psychology, we have to ask people, would they classify their experience as something as traumatic? And this is because we have groups that uh, we consider resilient, who will take a what we would define overall based on a population poll as traumatic, and they won't respond the same way that someone who is non-resilient will. So it really is very important to address the specificity of the experience when talking about drama. So thank you so much for bringing that question up. Yeah. Graham, really appreciate uh, the comments. Uh, let's go to the phones here. Let's start with Robert in Detroit. Robert, welcome to the show. Hi. Hi. Um, I've been hearing a lot about this lately, and um, I, I know that the people who talk about it that I know tend to be very religious, and uh, I'm wondering if there's any overlap with generational sin, that concept. The other thing is um, I, they tend to be white people, and they tend to be talking about this because they feel guilty and they want to um, overcome their guilt of, about slavery and stuff like that. I personally think it's more about behavior and how you see your relatives and ancestors, grandparents, the way they talk about certain things and their emotional um, motivations. So I think there's more agency than I do believe the genetic part. Hmm. Uh, Robert, uh, really thoughtful uh, call. Thank I you, really Ryan. appreciate it. Yeah, go ahead, Dr. Marlon. Thank you very much, Robert, for addressing this. And, and, and speaking of generational sin and guilt, I think you really highlight the emotional component and the mental component. Because in the feeling of guilt, that leads to biological responses that are stressors. And I do agree that there's an aspect of agency in action. And I also agree that biology has us regulate things based on the experience. And so I wonder how much of a constant concentration on the guilt and on the aspect of generational sin and on the fear of what generational sin can lead to in the afterlife leads to biological responses in the body that may change um, uh, reproductive cells and then change things in the second and third generation. The mind and the brain and behavior are not separate. They're not all mutually exclusive. And so it could potentially be that the thoughts and constant rumination on sin and guilt and what this could mean for a religious person in the afterlife, um, and also if they're an empathetic person thinking of the horrors of slavery and seeing themselves and another human go through that, can be a stressor within itself. Hmm. So I also want to ask you, Dr. Marlin, about parenting and the way 
something like inherited trauma might influence us as parents. Uh, of course, we pass along purposefully all kinds of things to our children, um, but I don't know how often we think about uh, the things we might be passing along uh, unintentionally, and it seems to me that this inherited trauma kind of falls into that that category. I wonder if you can talk about how this should influence parenting, mm-hmm. I guess, uh, but but also how it probably already does. I'm happy that I had started these studies before I was a, a parent of two <laughs> and a foster parent, which is where I am now. Um, and the, the, the exciting part about the work that we do in our studies is that just as much as an epigenetic mark, so the ability of our genes to be read, not changing our genes, can come in because of an experience, it honors the concept that an experience can also buffer and erase epigenetic markers. I may not be able to stop my children from coming from uh, enslaved people and people who are associated and adjacent to the Holocaust. That is who I met and who I propagated offspring with. However, the internal environment of our home, the way I interact with my children, the words I speak to them and who I tell them they are, can potentially be the environment that changes those epigenetic factors. Because an experience put the epigenetic markers onto the genome, I believe an experience can remove those markers or change them in a way, once again, for adaptation. Hmm. Because biology wants us to survive and not fail. So are you saying that there are things that as parents we ought to be doing intentionally to try to counter the effects of inherited trauma? I think this has to do with observations that we see as humans that we would love to see in biology and are working into it. I wouldn't say you should definitely do one this, this one thing versus the next because everyone's unique experience will lead to changes in how they will respond to things. What we do know overall is that interactions with children, for example, newborn babies touching, hugging, um, soft touch, uh, releases a neuromodulator in the brain called oxytocin. Mm-hmm. This is another, uh, another study that I've, I've, I've gone into in which oxytocin is what we call an anxiolytic. It helps to relax and decrease stress. Heightened chronic stressors we know have responses on our metabolism, on our body, and our psyche. And so ways we can decrease that stress could potentially be decreasing that stress for generations. Mm-hmm. It's all about mitigating what we can. We don't know right now if we can actually give a pill that erases epigenetic markers and gives you a clean start. But we do know that these social interactions help edify and support a healthy person with a healthy mind. Hmm. Wow. Uh, and that again, goes for both parents and also people who are not biological parents that have adopted or stepchildren, et cetera. Yeah, yeah. Again, 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phone's call and tell us what you think of the concept of inherited trauma. Also, as always, call and tell us just how you're managing right now with all of the stresses uh, that uh, that the pandemic has brought into our lives. Uh, let's go to Michael in Ferndale. Michael, welcome to the program. Uh, hello, Stephen. Good morning, Stephen. Hi. Hi. Go ahead. Um, what I was going to ask Dr. Meyer uh, uh, is, has she done research, and I'm sure she probably has, she, since she just mentioned it a few seconds ago, uh, survivors, survivors of the Holocaust? and how those children's personalities, behaviors, and so forth may reflect 
their parents experience. Hmm. Uh, Michael, is that a, a, a personal experience that... Uh... Yes, it is. My parents both survived the Holocaust, came to the United States in the early 50s, and, uh, you know, and, I, and I, I had really not... I mean, I've obviously thought about the, their influence on me, but hadn't really thought about it in an epigenetic way. Hmm. Wow. Uh, Michael, I really appreciate the call uh, and the question. Uh, Dr. Marlin, go ahead. Thank you, Michael, and thank you for sharing that um, personal experience. Um, there are many researchers who have, who have looked at survivors of the Holocaust, and um, I think that overall what, what they have gleaned is that, A, it's sometimes difficult to separate the stories from the experience and from the epigenetic experience, because, um, and although culturally it's not common for those who survived the Holocaust to really Fill all of those traumatic information and events to their children and grandchildren, but you learn through stories, you learn through pictures, you learn through through, um, through your, your experience of your family members. And so researchers have ha- found it hard to separate the thought of knowing that your parents have gone through something that's so heartbreaking, and also having epigenetic markers. And that's what we attempt to do in the lab. And in the lab, we use um, non-human. Um, model organisms, so we use mice, and we don't traumatize them the way that we would describe the, the horror that went through the Holocaust. Mm. But we actually just use a very small stressor, a light foot shock. And even in a light foot shock, we see there's changes in the brain. So it just helps us gain insight into what could potentially be happening with something larger than a light foot shock and what that means for when there's a lack of the oral history. And it is strictly genetic. Mm. Uh, I, I also want to talk just a little about uh, what we've been uh, encouraging people to call and talk about, which is, you know, the trauma of right now and how we respond to it and how <clears throat> this concept of inherited trauma might fit into that that narrative. The pandemic, of course, is something that none of us could have predicted, uh, and it's something that has affected all of us in really specific ways, both individually uh, and collectively, it seems to me, based on what I uh, have learned about inherited trauma, that it's exactly the kind of thing that uh, could have effects on uh, on our descendants and 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 their behavior. Uh, I, I want to give you a chance just to talk about now, though, and the things that we're experiencing and how it fits into the research that you're doing about uh, how these things can be cross generational. Yes, it's it's uh, hard to um, choose something that is active and in the moment. Mm-hmm. And uh, with the brilliant scientists that I work with in the lab and the graduate students and, and researchers in the lab, we really have tried to separate the intense emotional experience that has been 2020, 2021 from our research and also use it to inform our research. Mm-hmm. And because we are so close to it and in it, it's it leads us into a very uh, hard situation as scientists because we don't want to be motivated just by emotion and just by experience, right? We'll be motivated by facts, but this is all new. This global pandemic is new because we also have global pandemics um, on top of a racial, racial resurgence um, of, our, of United States history. Mm-hmm. Um, and we also have social media where we're not just looking at um, the poverty states of, of the areas in our surrounding area, but all over the world. And I think these compound realizations are something that science has never seen before. And so we're learning about it in real time. We think about it when we're applying our experiments 
but it's still so new and so raw that we haven't been able to digest it in a way that produces data that makes a claim outside of the fact that we all feel it in our hearts. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I want to take one more call before uh, we need to break. Dan in Detroit. Dan, what's on your mind? Thanks so much for taking the call. Mm-hmm. I work in an after-school youth nonprofit, uh, the Downtown Boxing Gym, and we have students from so many different backgrounds. Uh, and anyone who does youth work will often see trauma response in students. What are some best practices that you found for those working in education and in youth work? Hmm. Uh, great question, Dan. Thank you. Thank Appreciate you, Dan. it. Go ahead, Dr. Marla. Thank you, and thank you, Dan, for the work you do. Um, I'm a former educator. I taught formally before I went into the, um, the biological sciences. And based on the data, um, not just personally, this is based, based on the scientific data, we show that social support groups are essential for healthy development, um, specifically in traumatized individuals um, and in stressed individuals and chronically stressed individuals. Having an after-school system that helps edify confidence and has a support system and a way of expressing things that are on one's heart and mind has been shown to have lasting beneficial effects. You're asking what it is that you can do, and I think you're walking in it right now. And it's being support systems for children who, for a period in time, can step away from their chronic stressors and focus on themselves and focus on people who care about them and know that they are supported. Because that knowledge of support has biological ramifications, at least right now, and research is showing all the way into future generations. So thank you for what you do. Yeah. Okay, uh, Dr. Marlin, it was really great to have you here to explain this concept and talk about uh, the ways that it plays out uh, in our lives. Thank you so much for joining us on Detroit Today. Thank you so much for having me. Okay, we are going to take another quick break, and when we come back, we're going to have a little fun. We're going to talk about the 2021 Concert of Colors with founder and organizer Ismail Ahmed. Stay with us for more Detroit Today.